Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, this is Virginia Stanley, Director of Library Marketing at HarperCollins. Recently, my team and I sat down with librarians from the Tri-State area to discuss our winter and spring 2019 titles. This is the audio of that presentation. We start off talking about our newly developed podcast, which we think is a really valuable tool. So we hope that you find all of this information helpful to you. Thanks. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. We have a couple of housekeeping. What's our housekeeping? Oh, tell them, Lainey. We're social, as you might know, and we have a podcast. So I will make a few mentions of books that I'm talking about that are on our podcast, and you can find out where on our website as well. There's a title. Cool. Yeah, and uh, so I'm going to talk about Dakota Winters, but just to back up for one second, that podcast is amazing, and you can hear interviews that Lainey has done with the author of Marilla of Green Gables, that Chris has done with Lou Burney, the author of November Road. We have a section called Editors Unedited, and they are talking about their books, all, or they're talking to authors. So it's really, really cool. We have some really great content, and we just want to get it out there. So um, please, check out Library Love Fest, because everything is there. The videos are fun, and they're informative, and we sit in a tiki hut and drink a lot of booze, and the more we drink, the more we tell the truth. <laughs> So, speaking of telling the truth, I'm going to tell you now that the first book up is Dakota Winters, and it is sublime. Jen Dayton from Darien, Connecticut is a huge fan of this book, as are many people who have already read it, and um, it's, quite, it's quite beautiful. This is, um, it is set in the building, the Dakota, in New York City, and uh, it's set at 1979, and it is about a family, their last name is the Winters. And this is their story. So when you start, uh, open up the book, you are meeting this son who is coming back after serving, uh, doing time in the Peace Corps. And he's uh, recovering from this really bad bout of malaria. So he goes home to recover. And um, uh, his, his father, who's had a, a sort of a mental breakdown, he was a nervous breakdown. He was um, a, a talk show host. And so he wants to, so it's a story about this family, and it's, a ta it's, just, it's about how fractured this family really is. But it's also this really cool moment in time um, where it, it's leading up to the assassination of John Lennon. So he makes several appearances in the book, as do um, Ted and Joan Kennedy, um, Koch. I mean, it's really, he, the author is from the Upper West Side. He knows what he's talking about. He's a terrific writer. And this is just a great, um, this is just a great story about a family that, that uh, lives in this absolutely beautiful building um, and, these, and this wonderful time that New York is very scrappy and there's lots of change going on there and some really identifiable characters along the way. So um, it, that's it in a nutshell. I could go on forever about this book, but I don't have time. But please trust me when I tell you the Dakota Winters by Tom Barbash is divine. 
So the next book is The Boys in the Cave by Matt Gutman. And this is the look at a look at the Thai cave, the boys that were trapped down there for three weeks, which I can't even imagine. Um, so I learned a lot about the rescue that I didn't even know. I'm sure you all know about it from the news. But these boys were 11 to 16. They were on a soccer team in Thailand, and they went for one of the boys' birthdays to go into the cave and explore. And when they get into the cave as monsoon season comes around, they got trapped in three weeks. I, I can't even imagine. So they were stuck down there. They had rescues. And it was insane for even one of the boys to make it out alive. All of the boys on the team made it out, which is crazy. So this is the story. This is the behind-the-scenes look. So Matt is a an award-winning ABC News chief cor national correspondent. He's reported from over 40 countries. He was there during the coverage of this rescue, and this is kind of all about it. He went into the caves. There's a video of him online. You should check out that he's in the caves and showing how hard it is for him to even get in and out. And he really has a lot of info on who the boys are and why they were there and how they survived. They licked condensation off of the cave walls to survive. So it's going to be a great heroic story and all of kind of questions are answered. And that's The Boys in the Cave by Matt Gutman. Okay, the next book up is uh, Freefall by Jessica Barry. This is um, a terrific edge of your seat thriller, a debut. This is a big, big book for us. So you see the announced print on there, 200,000. Tell you where we're going with this book that's coming out in January. Um, this is a story about a woman. When you start this book, it is so cool because there's, uh, it's a private plane that has crashed in the Colorado Rockies. And there's one survivor, this woman. It was her fiance who was piloting the plane. He's gone. And she is, li you're literally right there when she sort of like shakes the dust off of herself and tries to figure out how she has to get out of this plane and how she has to sort of scavenge what she finds. Things are far flung, things are hanging in trees, you know, her belongings and what can she take? And it's just this, it's very heady and it's very surreal, but it's, it is very atmospheric and it's kind of hard to breathe when you read this opening scene. Um, so, you find out that um, not only is this woman trying to s get out of this plane, she doesn't even know if this thing's going to explode. She has to make her way through this terrain, but then you start to find out that she's actually not only running uh, away from the plane and, and trying to, you know, find help, she's also running away from uh, her past, and specifically some guys who are looking to get her, and if they find out that she survived this plane crash, they're going to kill her. So that's the first part of this thing. The second part of this thing, this is a mother-daughter story. So there's, uh, then you switch back and forth because it's told from both points of view, the mother and the daughter. And the mother is, um, they, she is estranged from her daughter. And so when the town police come to tell her that there's been a crash and they think that it's her daughter, um, she's ashamed actually to tell him that, uh, you know, we haven't actually spoken. I don't know anything about her. So she's, um, so she's, she has a sense that they're, that they, you know, she may actually be alive, that her daughter may actually be alive. And so begins this story of these two women who are trying to, one is trying to uh, escape danger and one is trying to find her daughter who she's sure has, you know, something has, something has uh, changed and something is, something bad is going on. Um, 
It's uh, so it takes place in the Colorado Rockies, and um, as I say, this woman has to make herself through this uh, treacherous mountain wilderness. And can her mother find her in time? Um, it's uh, it's also it takes you to San Diego and Maine. It's 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 sweeping, and it's really really good. I have a great quote from Karen Slaughter, which I'll read quickly, which says, Jessica Barry's debut novel opens at full throttle and never lets up. Set aside a few hours before you open this book. Once you start reading, you won't want to stop. Truer words never spoken. Free Fall by Jessica Barry. And you again. And me again. Hello. <laughs> Bubble Away by Elizabeth McCracken. Who is excited besides us that Elizabeth McCracken has a book? Very exciting, yes. Uh, so, um, you know, she's, her debut novel, The Giant's House, was a finalist for the National Book Award. Her other book, The Niagara Falls All Over Again, won the Penn New England Award. Um, and now it's been 20 years almost, and we have her book, Bowl Away, which is this um, really amazing story uh, set in uh, the turn of the century. Um, um, and it's set in New England at the turn of the 20th century. And it is about a woman who, who is passed out. She's unconscious. She's found in this cemetery, in this town in Massachusetts, this New England town. town. And she has nothing with her but a bowling ball, a candle pin, and 15 pounds of gold on her person. I know. You know, I found out a lot about candle pin bowling because I didn't know anything about that uh, because I thought, you know, well, what is this? And so there's a whole different way to play and there's a whole different way that the ball is structured and the pins are structured and it's, it's really cool. So, so, and that's actually where uh, candle pin bowling started, which I didn't know. It's amazing what you can find at the library. Um, <laughs> But uh, so, so Bertha Truitt is the woman at the, at the center of this thing. And people are, you know, are sort of, she's found and, and subsequently marries the doctor in town who, who found her. And um, so, and she's kind of this oddity. But she's, she starts this bowling pin, this candle pin bowling pin alley, the Truitt bowling alley. And it's like a thing in town. And she's odd and she's weird, but she's fun. And, but she doesn't tell you anything that's going on. She's all holding her very close to her vest. Um, and, um, but she dies and somebody comes along and says, and that's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a relative and I'm due the inheritance. And so this is a really wacky story about a family with family secrets. It's funny, but it also gives you this really great slice of history at that time actually over, a t over several years because you, she takes you through the Great Depression and World War I and World War II and you see how uh, this just slice of Americana is affected by that period of time, those periods of time, but also this very quirky character and the people who uh, are in her life. It's very funny, but as I say, there's, there's, there's darkness and there's, and there's family secrets and uh, she's just a terrific writer, so we're really excited to have Elizabeth McCracken under this roof. That's Bolaway. Okay, A uh, Little Faith by Nicholas Butler. You'll know Nicholas Butler from Shotgun Love Songs and then The Hearts of Men, which was a team favorite here. That's my first introdu introduction to Nicholas. Virginia loved it. It was a Library Reads pick. And with his latest novel, it follows a, an, a man who's kind of entering his golden years in rural Wisconsin. And his family had long been estranged. He has a daughter who had a child at a young age. Uh, and she was estranged, but she's finally home with her young son, and he's, you know, kind of find, finding peace for the first time in a long time. 
But his daughter becomes under the influence of this very radical church in this rural Wisconsin community. And not only is it a radical church, this church believes that uh, his daughter's son, his grandson, has the power to heal. And so as his daughter's being pulled more and more into this extreme church, he's grappling with his own, you know, conflicting desires because he's really happy his family's together again, but he's not a man of faith and he's extremely suspicious about, you know, the influence this church is having on his family. Um, Nicholas Butler is just a very poised, he's a warm writer, but he's not sentimental, he's not judgmental, but he, he tackles relatively hard topics. He wrote this really great behind the book essay, which is up on Edelweiss, which kind of talks about you know, the impetus behind this, including this real-life case of a young child who died because she had type 1 diabetes but was not treated. They tried to do faith healing, and she passed. And he, again, he just does it with such poise, and he's just a wonderful author. Um, we're super thrilled about um, a new book by him. It's coming March 5th. Uh, that's Little Faith by Nicholas Butler. Um, and then uh, The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. Uh, this is coming February. This is our lead read pick for uh, winter of 2019. That's our sales program where the sales staff votes on one title each season that we think has a special chance to be you know, a critical and commercial success. We did that with The Nest, Cynthia Diapri-Sweeney. We did it with News of the World, Paulette Giles, which librarians supported in a huge way. So thank you for that. And so on and so forth. And this is very much in the vein of Commonwealth. Um, uh, and The Nest, Cynthia DiPri-Sweeney. And it, she's uh, the author of The House Girl, which was a New York Times bestseller. That was historical. This is, again, more Ann Patchett-esque. And it follows four siblings, um, and it's told through the view of one sibling. She's a renowned poet, and she's explaining the story behind her, one of her most famous poems. And she tells the story of this one fateful summer when they were all coming of age, all these four siblings. And certain things happened this summer that drew them close, incredibly close together, closer than just in your natural sibling bonds, like big things happened. And then you flash forward two decades and certain realities about that summer, as well as their current lives, come to the front and their relationships are just thrown into question, everything they thought they knew about each other. A really nuanced, smart writer, very poetic. Um, this is going to be a huge book for us. Again, she already has the chops, but uh, now that she's in that Ann Patchett territory, we think she's going to take the next step. So we're absolutely thrilled about it. That's coming February, so that's the last romantics. The next book, Alifair Burke's The Better Sister. I'm sure many of you know her uh, previous standalones, The Ex and The Wife, which were huge sellers, uh, uh, really wonderful reviews uh, on both of these books. And uh, this is the third in sort of like the informal trilogy of female relationship novels. Um, that I said, as I said, she started with the ex and continued on with the wife. Uh, this is a story about um, two sisters. Uh, one is sort of uh, type A and uh, always seemed to be in charge, was the honor roll student with the big dreams. And the other sister was a little more reckless and pretty much the opposite of her sister. Um, and she floated from job to job and man to man and then um, stayed home, you know, close to home in Cleveland. And the other sister went to New York. Um, they never were thick as thieves, and um, they found happiness in their own ways. One of them became uh, earned a scholarship to an Ivy League school. The other one married a young attorney and gave birth to a baby boy. But the sisters were basically strangers to each other. Fast forward 15 years, and their lives are very different. Um, one of the sisters is now married to the other sister's husband. Hmm. <laughs> that makes it interesting at Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> but when he's murdered 
by a masked intruder, uh, they reluctantly have to get together and uh, perhaps the teenage son might be involved, might not be involved. You need to read it to find out. She is, she does twisty domestic noir really, really well. And uh, she is a former prosecutor. She now te uh, teaches criminal law. Uh, she's very, she's, a, she's brilliant. And uh, we're, we're really excited to have this book on our list. Um, think Ruth Ware, Paula Hawkins. She's right up there. So if you haven't read her, look, I have pages of reviews for The Wife. I mean, it just goes on and on. They love her. She is beloved. She is a wonderful, wonderful writer. So uh, if you haven't yet read Ella Fairburk, please start, and you won't stop. Also, her mother was a librarian, so hmm. <laughs> now we're going to stop, and we're going to, inter we're going to have guest speaker from Harlequin. This is Lynette Kim. Um, what am I doing up here? Um, Harbor <laughs> has so kindly let me sho uh, shoehorn myself in to talk about our big book of 2019 called Beautiful Bad by Annie Ward. Um, <clears throat> the novel opens with a frantic 911 call. There's a child crying in the background. Of course, the police are on the scene immediately. Um, they immediately call the crime the day of the killing. And this happens in Kansas, but before you can figure out what in the world just happened, who's dead, where's the child, is the child okay, um, we flash back actually to the Balkans where two friends, they're two 20-something year olds, um, their names are Maddie and Joanna, they're best friends, and they are both living and working in the Balkans, one as a travel writer, one as an international rescue worker. Um, they give themselves a night off, much deserved, they meet a British Army man, a military man named Ian, and that's when the story really, really takes off. Um, this is a story about three friends who love each other very fiercely, they live very recklessly, and when one of them is betrayed, there's gonna be hell to pay. Um, so the f story flashes back, back and forth between Kansas, and then Bulgaria, London, Iraq, and New York. So yes, this is a thriller, yes, there are definitely twists and turns, but what really makes this special for us is that the author, Annie Ward, is also a travel writer, and so she spent a lot of time really immersed in the countries that end up spanning her book. Um, in fact, I found out just an hour ago, every time we talk about this book, I find out something new, but Annie actually originally wrote this as a memoir, um, so the characters are based on her, her best friend, her husband. She said, Essentially, everything is true in this book except for the murder, which is probably an important thing to know. <laughs> um, she, and it, it says a lot about her sense of humor. The book is also, it's really funny. It has a wry sense of humor, um, which I think also sort of set, sets it apart from thrillers. And I will leave you with one quote. Um, some random person named Virginia Stanley tweeted about this. <laughs> she said, I destroyed this galley at the beach, and it destroyed me right back. So the book is on the table out front, and I hope you pick up a copy, and I hope you love it as much as we do. Yay! Well, I have to say, you know, when, when Lynette and I were talking, you know, this book really is, I did destroy this beach, at, um, this book at the, at the beach, and it's, it was just wet and, and bent, and curled, and, uh, and so was I after I read it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just wonderful, and so it, it, I'm so glad that Lynette could take time to talk to you about it because, you know, when it was between us and Harlequin, Park Row, there are so many books to talk about, but um, if there's one book on, on that list that you guys really want to read, it's Beautiful Bed by Annie Ward.
Okay, uh, White Elephant by Julie Langsdorf. So um, this is a really, really strong debut that I think kind of combines that commercial appeal of The Nest, written in a similar tone, um, but takes that small town intrigue of like Celeste Ng that people love, um, where it takes place in this small town where this horribly ugly new house has been erected in this tight-knit community. It's, that's the white elephant in, in the title. Uh, and the, this immediately sets off this kind of power struggle between the owner of this horribly ugly home and his, the next door neighbors. And from there you just follow these really kind of funny, really fleshed out characters who are inhabiting this town, both the owner of the house, the husband and wife next door. The husband is really set on you know clashing with this neighbor, whereas the wife finds herself horribly intrigued by him. Uh, so there's some things that happen between them. Um, but also interesting characters aside from that, there's kind of this lawyer who has a horrible pot addiction, a young teenager who takes part in this prank that is supposed to be lighthearted but very much takes a darker turn. But it's all written like very light and refreshing and, and fun. Um, but also it's just a really strong book. Um, it was highly sought after, so we're super excited that we were able to get it. Um, especially for a debut. So that's White Elephant by Julie Langsdorf. Um, let's see. And then in a very different tone, this is a really strong piece of nonfiction, another huge get for us. It's What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damon Young. Uh, Damon is the co-founder of VerySmartBrothers.com. Uh, he's one of the most widely read writers on race and, and, and identity working today. And he writes in a really strong you know, he doesn't hold back. He has humor, but he also hits to the core of issues in ways that you really wouldn't expect. And what I really found fascinating, so VerySmartBrothers.com is widely read, but it, the the readership is very split. It's almost half and half, like, um, between white and black. Uh, more women read it than men, which is fascinating to me. But, all again, all the articles, especially, specifically Damon, they're incredibly strong. And, and so this is his memoir and essays where he's exploring issues of what it means to be not only a black man, but just a black, what he goes through black women's experiences and what it means in your day-to-day -day interactions and how you filter that through, you know, is this, is this happening because I'm a minority, because I'm black? What's happening here? And again, he just strikes to the truth of the issue time and time again. So a huge book we're printing, it's a 200,000 announced initial print. We think this is a genre buster. Um, it's really going to blow out in a special way. Uh, so that's coming March 26th. That's What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker by Damon Young. Okay, The Affairs of the Falcons by Melissa Rivero. This is literary fiction coming out in April. Um, and this is just set in the recent past, and um, it's sort of renewing the national debate about immigration. Um, so we meet this woman, Anna Falcone, and she and her husband, Lucho, uh, and their two children have fled um, Peru for a new chance in New York City, and it's in the 1990s. They are undocumented, and that has significantly curtailed their opportunities. Uh, she is indebted to a loan shark, this woman named Mama, um, and she's also stretched thin at her factory job, and also, to make matters worse, um, she's battling criticism from her husband's cousin. They're staying with him, he doesn't really want them there, and actually she's trying to thwart off um, uh, unwanted attention from the, the, the loan shark's husband. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, and she's trying to figure out how to keep these kids safe, how to make a life there, 
because um, the pressure is building and uh, what lines is she willing to cross in order to protect her family. So this is, um, this is about building a new life. Actually, the author was born in Peru. She was raised in Brooklyn, and she was undocumented for most of her life. She became a citizen in her early 20s. Um, and she's a beautiful writer, so she, and she knows of what she writes. And um, we're very, um, you know, this is a powerful book, The Affairs of the Falcons by Melissa Rivero. Wait, I'm going to go back and say one thing. Lisa Coe, author of The Levers, I want to read this. Melissa Rivero writes about love with all of its beauty, fierceness, and complications of motherhood and hard choices, the bonds of family and homeland, and the sacrifices made for survival and a better future. Anna Rios is an unforgettable character and a necessary American hero. So there we go. So the next book is American Pop by Snowden Wright. I'm so jazzed for this book. I'm excited. It's... It's something special, I really think. So Snowden, his first, um, so Play Pretty Blues is his novel before this. He, it was the recipient of the 2012 Summer Literary Seminars, Seminars Grey Wolf Prize. So this book is an epic. It's just a family saga. It's over a, a hundred years of American history, but it follows one family, the Forsters, and they own a soda company. So the Panola Soda Company, Pan-Cola, as they like to say, it, it's so big in the South, and they're from a really small town in Mississippi. I am too. So I immediately, when they launched this book, I was like, I need the manuscript right now. I need to read it. Like, it felt like a little bit of home. Um, but Snowden is from Mississippi. He wrote about this family. He went back there. He lived in New York for a while, went back, and his grandfather left him an inheritance so he went to live in a cottage and write this book and he said and there's a great behind the book on Edelweiss but he says he went back to find something you know there's subtle discrepancies in the south sometimes that you kind of is like an off note you hear but really it's the rise and fall and there's love there and I think he does a really good job putting it in this book it's really cheeky it has fun titles in the chapters and he kind of does a weird biographical thing where it's it's real stuff real quotes but puts in panola cola in there but you don't know what's real and what's false so it's it's reads like a biography in this great big story and the characters go through all of these decades and they kind of reflect what people are going through in each decade and um but it really has hot button issues like homophobia and racism and immigration you know it's going on now so it really brings it into this day and age um and I, like I said, the blend of real and false is so well done, and the words are so beautiful. I'm really excited for you guys to read this. Um, it's for fans of literary fiction, family sagas, or even like big American novels like Jonathan Franzen. And I have a great quote that just came in from Adriana Trigiani. And the fortune of the Forster family was built on fizz, but sustained by grit, luck, and cunning. This is an American saga of one man's ambition, the woman who stoked stoked it and the family whose complex identity it became. Snowden Wright takes us into the heart of the Deep South with insight, sophistication, and humor. What a ride. And I think you're going to really love it. That was American Pop by Snowden Wright. Okay, my Coney Island Baby by Billy O'Callaghan. Who, who likes a good, ugly cry when they read a book? <laughs> I know I do. So um, what comes to mind, if any of you uh, read Willie Vlaughton, Don't Skip Out on Me, that's a book I pushed the heck out of. I know some of you supported it in a big way, and I appreciate it. Their writing style is very different, but it has that same kind of, not intentionally sad, but it explores people in hard spots, whether by circumstance or their own choices or a mix of the two. 
Um, Billy O'Callaghan's this revered Irish author, uh, and this is his first book with us, and it follows uh, two people, both married to a different person, who have been, they've had this decades-long love affair where they meet in a seedy by-the-hours motel on Coney Island, uh, and this is like, they're, they've just maintained this. They love each other, but their lives draw them apart continually. And this all kind of comes to a head. As you can imagine, where is this headed? And it, it's headed towards some really hard choices and some tragic moments. Um, it's sad, but not sentimental. It's just, it's, it's beautifully written. He has a very strong prose style that's unique to him, but just beautiful and still very readable. Um, so this is for fans of like William Trevor. Um, and again, just a really special, sad book. So bring your tissues pull down the blinds and just be ready. Um, it's beautiful. So that's uh, My Coney Island Baby by Billy O'Callaghan. Um, and then I'm still going to be talking about Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. So this was originally published in Australia, uh, where it was a bestseller, cr just critically acclaimed, just one of the biggest books to come out there in a long time. So we made a deal with Harper Australia, who published it, to take it out to 17 countries, because we think it's going to be a big, big thing. Um, and this novel follows a really unique narrator. He's a young man with kind of uh, an old soul and the voice, kind of a very smart, wise beyond his years voice. And he's living in 1980s Australia. He's taking care of his uh, kind of savant brother who does not speak. And he's basically raised by criminals. Um, and this is actually inspired by Trent's real life. Like he grew up, his father was like a heroin dealer, like a really hard life. But you follow this young man as he deals with some circumstances that no kid his age should deal with. But when you follow him and his voice, and he's so observant and, and insightful, it's just, I haven't read anything like it. It's, it's stunning. Uh, for comps, you can see on the screen, extremely loud and incredibly close, curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. But again, I think this is just like a special, special novel. Um, we're making a big deal out of it. Um, and again, I think that behind the, the book story is really special. So uh, that's coming in April. It's Bo uh, Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. <clears throat> all right. And then for a name you all know, uh, Greg Isles, Cemetery Road. Uh, so he wrote the Natchez Burning Trilogy. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author. And if I do say so, say so myself, he's a really cool cat. I met him, uh, I think, at Texas Library Association a few years back, and he's just a fascinating guy. Um, and this is a standalone, which is really great because people, I think, can be intimidated by the length of some of his books, but I encourage you to dive in anyways. But this is a good starting point. Um, and it still takes place in the South and follows this uh, journalist who left home from this small town uh, down South and promised himself never to return home. But of course, circumstances drive him back. His father's dying, his mother's having trouble really keeping the local newspaper running. Uh, and his high school sweetheart, who's uh, married now to, to another, her father-in-law, he's kind of like the leader of this very um, kind of moneyed, uh, I don't want to say aristocracy, but like these people who are kind of running things in this small town. A lot of money, um, all of it not probably very legal. Uh, but this man, this really powerful man, his wife ends up being murdered. 
uh, while Marshall, this journalist, is in town, and he's kind of pulled back into it because he's trying to help his high school sweetheart. And there's a lot of like seedy, you know, um, crimes happening below the surface with big implications that might lead back to Washington D.C. Um, it's so twisty, and again, I, Greg is just an incredible author. He's a big deal. We're going to blow this out. I think we have a 400,000 announced first print, so that gives you an idea where we see this going. Um, and again, just a great entryway to a really significant author. So that's coming March 19th. That's Cemetery Road by Greg Isles. So the next one is Parkland by Dave Cullen. Dave Cullen is the number the New York Times bestselling author of Columbine, who that was on the bestseller list for 13 weeks. So he has written a lot about school shootings, and he kind of it was on the scene and knows things about things you people would know just hearing the news coverage. He was the first one of the first ones to go in. So after he wrote Columbine, it was kind of the definitive <clears throat> book on that subject. And then he suffered two bouts of secondary PTSD. So he said, not doing that again. I, I can't do that to myself. It's just so shocking. I mean, if can you imagine him, these children who are there, but he's he couldn't do it. He wanted to get away from it. But he went to one of, he, he came to the office actually and spoke to us, which, and it was so powerful. He said he went to the memorial for Parkland and he accidentally came upon the scene that's actually on the cover of the book. You know, he just, he didn't mean to. He's like, oh goodness, it's right there. And he said it was so breathtaking and he just, he had to write about it. These kids that are standing up and not taking no for an answer. The Never Again movement is, it's happening. And so he wanted to show it not from, the story of what happened, but what are we going to do about it? And I think this is really special for that. Um, and it's really just, and he has a piece that just came on Vanity Fair. They did a big one. It's so much news coverage for this. It's going to be big. Everyone's going to be asking for it. I think people in a time when we're looking for answers to questions we might not have, maybe it can get us a little closer to it and just know the effects and maybe how they can step up and change things too. So that's Parkland by Dave Cullen and that's coming in February. Okay. No Beast So Fierce. The Terrifying True Story of the Champawat Tiger, the Deadliest Animal in History by Dane Hucklebridge. I love this jacket. And I think this is a really amazing book. Um, this is, uh, this takes place, this nonfiction takes place in Champawat, India, around 1900. And there's, it's the story of uh, this tiger, this Bengal tigress. She's wounded by a poacher in um, the Himalaya foothills near India, Nepal uh, border. And she's unable to hunt her prey. So she begins stalking and eating an easier food source, human beings. Um, so between 1900 and 1907, the Champawat man-eater, as it was became known, uh, emerged as the prolific serial killer of human beings the world had ever known, claiming 436 lives, right? I know. Um, entire villages were virtually abandoned. They could not catch this, this animal. Uh, so they appealed to a renowned uh, local hunter. His name was Jim Corbett. He was an Indian-born Brit of Irish descent, and he was very familiar with the Champawat Forest. And um, he tracked the tiger's movements, um, and the tiger started to track his. Uh, he won. But, um, but that's not where it ends. Uh, he, he ends this finally, but 
if this were just that story, I wouldn't really care about that. But I, what I think is so powerful about this book is that um, it's also about how colonialism and environmental destruction upset the natural order um, in this wild place, placing man and tiger and nature on a collision course. So um, the author contends that the Chapawat tiger was a man-made killer and a natural byproduct of colonialism. Um, also to note that the author, uh, that uh, uh, Corbett went on to uh, be sort of the, uh, you know, a, a defender of these animals. And, um, and so uh, he, he um, it was not his intention to just kill them. I mean, he had a he had a he had a feeling about them, and so uh, it's a it's a it's a very powerful story. But they're calling it American Sniper Meets Jaws. But I really think it's 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 just a very it's a very smart um, it's a very smart book. And um, he actually wrote a book himself back in the '40s when um, when this took place. Um, this is what I wanted to say. I was looking for my note here. Um, he later fought for the preservation of the Bengal tiger, and today more than 500 square kilometers of wilderness is protected in his name at India's Corbett Tiger Reserve, the first national park to be established in mainland Asia. So I think that um, you know that's that's a very important point to make. Uh, he did kill roughly a dozen of these. Uh, animals, but they were responsible for the deaths of over 1,200 people. So uh, something needed to be done. He did it, but he also had great reverence for this animal, and um, so and I and I and I think that's uh, quite telling on the kind of person that he was. So there's no beast so fierce by Dane Hucklebridge. And the next book up is the Polar Bear Expedition. Not really about bears, but. Uh, um, anyway, this is, uh, this is the Heroes of America's Forgotten Invasion of Russia. So uh, this is um, a lost chapter in the history of World War I. This is the story of America's year-long invasion of Russia, in which a contingency of brave soldiers fought the Red Army and brutal conditions during the fall and winter of 1918 and 1919. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll say, oh, never before told story. This is one that a lot of people don't know about, um, including a lot of World War I uh, experts. They, this, is, this is uncovered. So it was um, August of 1918. It was this, uh, the 339th Regiment of the United States Army, roughly 5,000 soldiers. Most of them were from Michigan, and they sailed for Europe to fight in World War I, but instead of going uh, to the Western Front, they were, they were headed to this port city a 1,000 miles north of uh, Moscow. And there, they, in this frozen, you know, this frozen tundra, amid the chaos of the Russian Civil War, was one of the most extraordinary episodes of American history that unfolded. So it was called the American North Russia Expeditionary Force, but it was self-dubbed the Polar Bear Expedition. And it was all about these guys that were sent to fight the Red Army um, and aid anti-Bolshevik forces in the hopes of reopening the Eastern Front against Germany. Now it's the 100th anniversary of this, uh, this event, and so the author has recreated uh, with quite dramatic and harrowing um, information about the military, uh, the operations freezing, their guns weren't working. They were frostbitten. They were dying. Um, when the Great War officially ended, the troops continued to battle the Red Army, uh, and uh, they they were uh, they withdrew in 1919. But over 200 uh, men had perished 
Um, and the story doesn't end there. Ten years later, a contingent of the veterans returned to Russia to recover the, main, the remains of these 100 men, their fallen comrades, and laid them to rest in Michigan, where there's a monument honoring their service. And it still stands. It's a, it's a massive uh, marble polar bear guarding a cross that marks the grave of a fallen soldier. Does anybody know about this? Okay, isn't this amazing? It comes with 25 black and white photographs throughout. There are a few, right, Lainey? Uh, so here are, here are uh, just a couple of photographs that are in the book, but, um, you know, this is, uh, that's uh, sadly, uh, you know, this was uh, what happened there. So um, anyway, this is, this is an important piece of, uh, of history, so uh, proud that we have it. That's the Polar Bear Expedition by James Carl Nelson. The Huntress by Kate Quinn, The Alice Network. Need I say more? But I will anyways, I don't care. Um, so uh, The Alice Network was a New York Times USA Today bestseller, just a huge hit. It continues to sell. It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, uh, which I think also kind of raised its profile to the next level. And Kate, this is, she more than followed that up. This is, this is a knockout novel by Kate Quinn. It's very much in the same vein where it's a World War II novel uh, that it's going to be a trade paperback. We're publishing in a library hardcover edition because we love you. And um, it follows three main characters. Um, one is Nina Markova, who is a female Russian bomber pilot uh, who has this, she's part of the legendary Night Witches, which is the witches, which is a uh, all-female Russian by, uh, bomber pilot squad. That was a mouthful. Um, but it's a real thing, like which I always love behind the book, like real, real factoids. Uh, and the Russians did have this all-female bomber pilot squad, which I think is fascinating. But Nina is trying to track down the Huntress, who is this uh, lady Nazi war criminal who's just committed some unspeakable acts, and she's very elusive, and Nina is obsessed, obsessed with tracking her down. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, she is kind of joins forces with this uh, very kind of uh, damaged war correspondent who's tracking down the Huntress as well. They're both obsessed. Their paths cross and intertwine. And then you jump forward to post-war Boston where you have this young girl, teenage girl. She's a budding photographer, and she has a new stepmother. She's soft-spoken and has a strange German accent and a mysterious past. You wonder who she is. Hmm. Uh, so you follow these three viewpoints, and it's just, it's a page turner, it's thriller, it's like perfectly commercial, but still smart. Lainey read it and loved it. Uh, the buzz is building, and, and again, I think it's like the next step, you know, from the Alice Network. No one's going to be disappointed with this one. Uh, and I think we put some galleys in some bags, maybe. Be civil, but they're out, they're out there. So um, that's coming February 26th. Um, and we're also working on a Facebook Live that's going to feature Kate very soon next month. So we'll release details about that very, very soon. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. Uh, that's Huntress. So this is American Duchess by Karen Harper. So Karen is really well known for suspense. She writes a lot of historical fiction. She has a few tutors books. And this is back to more, a little bit closer, I don't want to say contemporary, but it's up more than the Tudors. So it's historical fiction. And this is a story of Consuelo Vanderbilt. And she was a dollar bride. I don't know if you guys, I've never heard of this. Some of you have. So in that time, in the early 19, 1895, 
uh, women in the U.S. were taken to the aristocracy in England and married off because they had bukus of money and they had titles but no money so they did a trade and so these women would go over and marry and just it's it's fair trade that so she was a dollar bride so this is a story before Meghan Markle we had Consuelo <laughs> and she married the ninth duke of Marlborough and there she came to her wedding with tears on her face she was puffy she was crying she didn't want to be there it was her duty and as soon as she marries into this family she decides that this is not what she signed up for at all she doesn't know how her duties go she has to produce an heir and a spare and she just it's she's wrapped up in it and she becomes overwhelmed and so it really becomes about her journey to break away from society's constraints and kind of learn how to be your own woman but also be kind of a strong lead in the public and interesting fact she the real person, Consuelo Vanderbilt, because it's based on a true story, is the inspiration for Cora Crowley from Downton Abbey. I thought that was really cool. Um, and it's perfect for people who want to learn more about strong women of history or just about the rich and famous and know more about their lives. This um, title, the editor spoke about on our podcast, also for American Pop. I didn't mention that, but we have two episodes on our podcast, with the, one with the author and one the editor, so you should check that out. And that is American Duchess by Karen Harper. Okay, moving right along, more historical fiction. This is Learning to See by Elise Hooper, the author of The Other Alcott, which was a really wonderful uh, book that which received terrific buzz from the Times and Kirkus. And uh, anyway, this author has a new novel, and this is um, about um, Dorothy Lang. So it starts out in 1918, and uh, we meet 22-year-old Dorothea Nutshorn. That was her name. And she moves to San Francisco, and she is going to make her own life on her own terms. And within a year and a half, she has changed her name to Dorothea Lang. She's the toast of the Bay Area um, as the owner of the city's most pre prestigious uh, portrait studio. And she's the wife of uh, the painter Maynard Dixon. So um, can you just fast forward for one second so we know this iconic photo, right? Yeah. And the next one. Oh, sorry. That's okay. So that, yes. And when, I have to be honest, when I first, I didn't know. And so when I saw that picture, I'm like, oh, now it all comes together. Uh, there's a PS section in the book that goes into a lot of her life, and there's interesting photographs. Uh, that she has taken that are in the book. Um, but this is, uh, this is, as I say, historical fiction, but um, with this amazing life by this woman who, you know, of the time, that was not what women were supposed to be doing. Um, and she was out there by uh, the early 30s. Um, the economy was collapsing. Her marriage wasn't working out so well. She's got to figure out how to support these two kids on her own. And she starts going out there and, and using her camera and capturing moments that... Um, that put her on the map, actually. Uh, she really, she, you know, she captures the horrific conditions of America's poor. Um, and when we go into this, the Second World War, she, uh, she, she wants to know what to do. How can she fight this injustice? And she, um, she captures the, um, the injustice of the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, which if you go back for one second, that's the other photograph. And so, um, this is this is all about her life. Again, set in a fictional, um, in a setting, but um, uh, she's she's quite amazing. Um, so as I say, there's a PS section uh, in the book. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting 
um, is that um, the government, during the Second World War, the government impounded her photographs of the Japanese evacuation and internment. And even after the war was over, they weren't letting go of these, um, these photographs for quite some time. Um, and um, so anyway, they were um, widely exhibited in the, in the 2000s, in 2017. A lot of these photographs that had been impounded were exhibited in, um, in, uh, in an exhibit called Images of the Internment um, at the Franklin D. Roosevelt Library and Museum. So really powerful stuff there. I'm really excited to have this novel on our list. Okay, Prisoner. Uh, this is uh, by Jason Rezaian. This is a story about uh, a Washington Post Tehran bureau chief, uh, Jason Rezaian, who was arrested by Iranian police. He was accused of spying for America, which was not the case at all. He actually thought that they were getting around, um, but they weren't. They were using him as a, a political chip so to speak. Um, he, uh, he spent 18 months in, a, in, in prison um, with Im Im impossible, uh, highly diplomatic stakes. Um, he had a lot of people working on his behalf to free him, uh, uh, Barack Obama, um, John Kerry. There was a huge social media um, platform, Free Jason, trying to get him out. He did nothing wrong, but this was all to leverage, um, political leverage, during the Iran nuclear deal negotiations. And of course, he was freed on the day that the agreement was finalized. Um, but he, uh, he t talks in this book about uh, the exhausting interrogations. This big, put him in a closed door uh, trial. It was a big farce. Um, and he talks about uh, his childhood uh, growing up in Northern Cal California and his bond with his Iranian father. His wife was also arrested with him, but she was let go after a couple months. But he, he really spent some, some, uh, some, some time there and uh, has some, some amazing stories to tell. He was never convicted, never sentenced. He was convicted, but he was never sentenced of espionage in this closed-door trial in Iran in 2015. So this is his story. Um, that's, uh, that's Prisoner by Jason Rezaian. The next book is I'm Telling the Truth But I'm Lying by Bossy Ikpi. So Bossy was born in Nigeria, but at four years old, her family moved to Oklahoma, which is a little different. And she really grew up kind of in a poor background, and um, she kind of was the, she came across a lot of racism and a lot of things that, you know, it's hard when you're learning coming up in that age, but also her parents were going through this too. Um, and when she was 20, in her 20s, she started traveling to perform um, her spoken word. She is a spoken word poet, writer, and mental health advocate now. She has appeared in HBO's Russell, Russell Simmons' Deaf Poetry Jam five times, and her poetry has been opened, has opened shows for the Grammy-winning artist. And I took a look at some of her poetry, and it's pretty powerful. You can do a super, super simple Google search, and she, she's really amazing. You have to check it out. But she during her 20s, she was traveling and performing and doing all of these things, but then she had a mental breakdown. She couldn't do it anymore. She was suffering, and, and that was in 2004, and that's when she got diagnosed with bipolar 2 and anxiety. And so this book is about her time from that moment until now in a series, a collection of essays. So she really spent time exploring how mental health intertwines with her experiences in her life and how that creates those experiences in a way and kind of how you see differently when you're going through them and really who her, who she is, her identity. 
And through these essays, she just kind of explores it and kind of gives you an open look into who she is. Um, for readers of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and Roxane Gay, that's kind of it. And it's really beautiful. And I love the cover, too. It's fun. Um, so this is I'm Telling the Truth But I'm Lying by Bossy Ikpi. Me again. So this is When You Read This by Mary Adkins. This is a debut novel, but it redefines how you read a book in the modern age. It's such a cool format. You just have to see it. It's so it's laid out so interestingly. It's through text messages, emails, blogs, therapist notes, which can you imagine? Um, but just through these different characters, you've got to get to see them only through the screen, which is really interesting. But it's a story of Iris, who was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and she is writing a blog to kind of understand her life. And it really poses an interesting question of what you would do with your last days on Earth when you know they're numbered. So she's writing this blog, and then she sadly passes away. But at the beginning of the book, you meet Carl, who is a very ambitious intern. He's one of my favorite characters in the book. And he just wants to get things done, but they're not always the way they should be done. And so he finds this book that she wants to be published from all of these essays that people have commented on. And her boss, Smith, is really devastated by her passing and he wants him to publish it. So Carl and Smith are trying on a journey to get this published, but then her sister Jade is not wanting to do any of that. She's going through grief of her own. And it's just really cool to see how they intertwine through their emails and just imagining what people can learn through our emails and what we write, just seeing that only. That makes so, me scared. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's about loss and understanding. I think it'd be really great for book clubs too. To, it's a great discussion topic. And that's When You Read This by Mary Adkins. And you get me again. So this, too many things going on. So <laughs> this is A Woman Is No Man by Etoff Rum. So Etoff is a Book of the Month ambassador. She has a really cool Instagram um, at Books and Beans. You should check it out. It's like, I think Chris is saying he looked at it. It's beautiful pictures. She's really big in the book industry, and they mean a lot to her personally. So she wanted to write a book that showed her in the bookstore. She's Palestinian and Palestinian American. And when she goes to bookstores, she said, I don't really see myself represented. And this book, because of the world she's in, she said it's a totally biographical world. And she very well could be ostracized from her family for writing about it. There's a, I have to read this. It's a really great note from the author. So A Woman Is No Man is a semi-autobiographical novel inspired by the same insular world I grew up in. My parents migrated from Palestine to Brooklyn where they gave birth to nine children and raised us, despite our American setting, in a bubble wrap of Arab tradition and culture. This meant private Arabic schools and limited contact with American culture, including music and television. This meant arranged marriages, predetermined life, discouraged education for women in lieu of a more domesticated life. Without choices, I found myself in an arranged marriage by 19 and a mother soon after. Despite discouragement from my community, I stayed in college while raising two children. 20, by 24, I had completed a master's in literature and secured a full-time fa faculty position at community college and further outcasted me from the Arab community. Two years later, while teaching the works of a diverse author's, and it goes on, but this needs to be an Arab-American voice in a bookstore, too. And I just think she has so much on this book. She could be ostracized from her whole family for this book. And I read it, and I can't tell you how much I love this book. It goes through three generations. One woman is in Palestine, and she gets married off to someone in America who they kind of go home for a 
Pal- a true Palestinian woman, bring her back, and it's her relationship with her in-laws and her daughter um, later on. So goes to Brooklyn. These women don't even leave their street in Brooklyn. They don't go outside. <laughs> they don't know anything other than this world. And she reads books and looks out the window and hopes for a different day. And it really kind of hammers in the little things of you're not a man, you're not a man. And she hears that every chapter. And it really, I think, shows kind of what the world is. I'll stop talking because I could talk forever. But in the vein of Celeste Ng and Dark Family Mysteries, it's going to be for you. So, Woman is No Man, Etafram. So, the next book up, The Unlikely Adventures of the Shurgle Sisters by Bali Kaur Jaswal. Uh, this is, I don't know if anybody read Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows. So good. So good. Love that book. Well, that received, that was selected for the Reese Witherspoon Book Club. It's it's such a great book. I, I absolutely loved it. Well, uh, she's back. And this is a story about these British-born sisters, the Punjabi uh, Shergill sisters. Uh, and they're... Um, they were never gross, uh, never close growing up, uh, and uh, they, they barely got along. And as adults, they're they're even further apart. But on their on her deathbed, their mother voices one last wish. She wants the daughters to go take a pilgrimage back to the Golden Temple of Amritsar uh, to carry out her final rites. And so this is what they do. This is a this is a story about um, how they what happens. One of the sisters had gone back uh, with her mother. Uh, years ago, and she vowed she'd never go back, but now they're keeping this promise and they're going back. Something happened when she was there with her mother. Um, and um, so they make this, they make unexpected discoveries about themselves, their mother, their lives, and they find out what happened with this sister and the mother when they had gone back years and years ago. This is a momentous journey that resulted in the mother never being able to go back. So, so it's a pretty big thing. And it's really a female take on um, the Indian travel narrative. The author said that she wanted to see what it was like to send women out there. They're much more vulnerable to different dangers in a male-dominated society. This is charming. It's thoughtful. She gets it. Um, and uh, it, she's, just, she's just a really wonderful, gentle, uh, smart writer. So that's The Unlikely Adventures of the Shergill Sisters by Bali Kaur Jaswal. Do we have time for one more? Can you do it do fast? It. Yeah. Peter Swanson, new Peter Swanson, librarian favorite, before she knew him, coming March 5th. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, he wrote The Kind Worth Killing. Uh, he wrote The Girl with the Clock for a Heart. He wrote Her Every Fear, um, et cetera, et cetera. And he, this is a really cool, he's the twist master with thrillers. And this is a really interesting take of the unreliable narrator where you have this young artist uh, living with her husband outside Boston. Uh, she has a history of bipolar, but she has it together, and she's obsessed, obsessed with true crime. And they have this new couple that moves in next door. She goes and visits them, goes into the guy's office, and sees this trophy uh, that looks very similar to a trophy that was reported missing from a murder, like, you know, five years ago. And she's obsessed with true crime, so this immediately clicks with her, and she's like, okay, who is this guy? And then, as opposed to being like where no one believes her, well, they don't believe her, but the guy, the supposed murderer, knows she knows. She knows he knows. He knows she knows she knows he knows. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And, 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 but, so it's this cat and mouse thing where, you know, they kind of 
form she's trying to decide how to break out and get this guy you know arrested but she no one believes her so it's a really cool take you know on the standard kind of domestic thriller um and that's what peter does he just kind of like upends your expectations and does it in a really unique way i love this i think it's a new step for him and he keeps getting better with each novel um and he has legions of dedicated fans and uh this is the next step for him and it's super fun i loved it so that's uh before she knew him coming march 5th um i realized that we haven't we've been so you know so steadfast about getting all of our books out on time that we haven't used our famous sound machines from Bed Bath & Beyond, so I'm just going <laughs> to arbitrarily push a button and see what happens. Hmm. Let's try a different one. <laughs> That's how I'm going to feel after my first glass of wine. Do you care to push a button? <laughs> Let's see. This one looks like a fork. Oh, it's a bomb. Never mind. No, That's don't. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just... No, that, you already did that one. This one looks. This one looks like a. <laughs> I'm glad Brian's gone. I thought it, very highbrow here. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. So. Um, what? Oh. What are you gonna say? Oh, I said, shall we begin from whence we left? Shall we begin from whence we left? Yes, we shall. Does that sound nice? Yes, let's, let's begin oh, from whence we left. Let's just have that joke. Let's do it. Yeah, crazy. All right, where are we at now? Laney, Maney, Mays, what's happening? She'll figure it out. I'm going to start talking. We'll all catch up. Something's wrong. Okay. Yeah, Nothing's I'm, happening. I'm putting this slide on. Because uh, uh, we went to huh? the beginning, and now we're here. Okay. <gasps> That's okay. So, anyway, Wait, she knows, he knows, he knows. But, <laughs> there we go. All right, next book. The Night Agent, Matthew Quirk. Um, so, this is a Washington, D.C. political thriller um, that is very much in the vein of like Harlan Coben, David Baldacci, James Patterson, um, about a uh, FBI agent in the White House Situation Room, and this is oddly timely. Um, he's trying to save America from a catastrophic be uh, betrayal uh, and a Russian mole in the White House. <laughs> Could never happen, I don't know. If you can suspend your disbelief, you'll really like this book. Um, <laughs> No, this is this is a so uh, Matthew Quirk. He's worked for the Atlantic, kind of with war crimes, political maneuvering. He's so he's like pulling stuff from the headlines, and he, it's a very propulsive read. Um, it's a big deal for us. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I want to say about it beyond just again the Russian element is so oddly timely. Um, but it, the but the guy just has the chops, um, and some of the quotes from some of you know the genre's big hitters kind of. Um, reinforce that. So like Lee Child says, plenty of breathless one more chapter, stay up late suspense wrapped around a meaty and timely story, irresistible. Um, I like this Michael Connolly quote, the night agent rocks, fast as hell, especially with Quirk's steady hand and control. The story is impossible to put out of mind once you enter this look over your shoulder shadow world. Relevant and revealing, this is one of the best thrillers to come along in years. Uh, so I think I think Michael says it right there. Um, so this is again a big deal for us. It's coming oh January fifteenth, so not that far away. Uh, that's the Night Agent by Matthew Quirk. Mercy River by Glenn Eric Hamilton. This is um, well. I'll start first by saying that Glenn Eric Hamilton's debut book, Past crimes was the title, won the Anthony McCavity and the Strand Critics Award and was nominated for the Edgar the Barry and the Nero. That was his first book. In this uh, series, 
the Van Shaw series. Van Shaw is a character in this book. Um, this is the fourth book in the series. I need to make it clear, you don't need to have read any of the other three. You don't need to read them in order. The only benefit, I would say, to reading them in order is that you see the character development of Van Shaw through the stories. But, um, so, if, first of all, anybody wants a copy of Past Crimes, send me an email, because it's on the handout, and I'll send you one, because I think you're going to get hooked on this guy. Um, so this is the fourth one in the series, and it highlights this character. This is very, very character-driven. It's, uh, it's great plotting, but more so than that, it's really about the development of this, this guy, this Van Shaw. Uh, and he's, he's got this kind of struggle um, in, that's, uh, it, it, that's at the heart of this protagonist, is whether this guy is going to walk the straight and narrow line and live this honorable life or rely on his criminal past and instincts to see justice served. So he's, he's um, helping a, federal, a, fe a fellow veteran who is accused of murder. Uh, Van Shaw is helping him, and, he's, and Van is drawn into this dangerous labyrinth about um, smuggling opioids and ruthless mercenaries and deadly family secrets. And it also challenges his um, notions of, of brotherhood and justice. Um, at the center of the book is his friend, Leo Pack, who is arrested for murder uh, when, he, uh, when he is at this sort of uh, reunion of um, hundreds of former um, and active rangers. So it's like this annual thing that these guys do. It's this crazy weekend, and somebody ends up dead, and he needs Van Shaw to help him um, get out of this. So um, that's, the, that's the sort of the framework of this book. But again, this, it's gritty, it's atmospheric, um, and uh, it, it's just, it's, plotting is wonderful, character is more. So um, dive in to this series with um, past crimes. I will send you a copy. Send me an email if you're interested, and I will send this to you. We have big, big hopes for this book. Um, he's, he's located in Seattle. Is he in Seattle? He lives, lives in California now. He's from Seattle. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful writer. So that is Mercy River by Glenn Eric Hamilton. So the next book is No Exit by Taylor Adams. This is one we're really getting behind. This is a new thriller that's coming out. Taylor is a director, and this is his, This is going to be so chilling. Like, when it's hot outside, this is what you need to read because you'll just be cooled off after. And I enjoyed it so much. So, like I said, it's a thriller. It follows Darcy Thorne. So she's in college, and her mom it's just diagnosed with cancer, so she decides to go back and see her in her hometown, but they're not really that close, and neither is her sister, so she's, like, dealing with all of that stuff, too. But when she is on her way going through the Rockies, she stops at a rest area in the middle of a blizzard because she can't go anywhere, and there's four different people at this rest stop. And she is trying to get signal. She's not there to make friends. She's ready to get home. And when she walks by one of the cars, she looks in the back and thinks she might have dreamed it, but turns out she didn't. There's a little girl in a cage in the back of a van, which what do you even do in that situation? But so she decides she's going to get this girl out, and she's got to figure out which of the four people did this. And so it's twisty. It so many twists. There's not just one. Like at the end, I at like last few pages, it twisted again. Um, and so. She's really the hero we all need. She's not a perfect person, but she kind of knows the difference between right and wrong, and it's very clear that this is wrong. So she goes after this little girl and tries to figure out why she's missing and try to save her before it's too late. And it, we're calling this the Chapter 1 Challenge because it sucks you in and we dare you not to 
to not go to second because you're going to want to get in there. And Taylor is really funny, and I think it's kind of a dark humor, too. He, in his behind the book, it says that he, thanks to YouTube, he knows how to puncture human flesh with a nail gun. So, you know, he's funny, but also he t we said that on a Facebook Live, and he tweeted and was like, I promise it was for the book. <laughs> so he's very funny, and I think it's a really cool thriller that's going to not get, you're not going to see it coming, and you're going to really get to know these characters. So that's No Exit by Taylor Adams. Okay. This is the story. I keep saying, this is a story you didn't know you needed. This is The Adventures of Barry and Joe by Adam Reed. So Adam Reed, as everyone probably, uh, everyone some people were they were really distraught by the 2016 election so he decided he forget Superman forget Spider-Man sorry Wonder Woman maybe we'll remember her but we need Barry and Joe so <laughs> Barry Barack Obama and Joe Joe Biden um, are traveling crime-fighting time-traveling superheroes and they go on an epic journey through American history and they're guided by their guru who is none other than Neil deGrasse Tyson who <laughs> appears courtesy of augmented reality that only we can see obviously so this started off as a kind of uh, animated series and he did a Kickstarter campaign and now it's gonna be brought to us as a graphic novel so it's part comic book and part fan fiction and I mean it's in the news everyone wants more Barry and Joe it's just something we know and it, they can give us hope in a time when some people need some hope so I think you're really gonna enjoy it and if you're a fan of The Daily Show The Onion The Late Show that kind of stuff you're going to really enjoy this, and it's fun to look through. There's a lot of great uh, images online, too. And that's The Adventures of Barry and Joe by Adam Reed. And it's coming out for President's Day, so fun little display. Um, so the next one is 99% Mine. I love Sally Thorne. I love The Hating Game. And this is her sophomore book, and she has worked so hard on it. I think with sophomore books, sometimes it you're like, oh, the first one was so great, and so she really worked, and I think it comes through in this one. And she, her editor actually was telling me today that she, she's found something. She's found, she's already had a great voice, but this is like ignited a fire in her, and she is so ready to write the third after this. So I think we're all going to be really surprised by a, soft, a sophomore novel. Um, and it's, so her unique characters come back through this. It's not the same characters from The Hating Game, but um, I like that in the copy it says, Crush, noun, a strong and often short-lived infatuation, particularly for someone beyond your reach. So this is a story about Darcy Barrett, and she met her dream guy at eight years old, but he was stolen by her brother and her twin brother. So now he is his best friend, and he only knows about 1% about Dar um, Darcy, and he's 99% loyal to her brother because they're best friends. So they grow up. She's working at a bar, and she's trying to find herself, and her grandmother leaves them a cottage and they're trying to flip it for to sell it and he brings her brother Jamie brings in Tom the love interest and they kind of get to know each other through this again and she's thinking maybe maybe I can sail him back so that's 99% mine by Sally Thorne The Queensland Sisters by Shelley Wood okay I would love to see a show of hands who remembers the Dion quintuplets okay yeah, right. Well, yes. Uh, we did a uh, 
did a presentation last night to a, a bunch of readers, and some people said, oh my god, yes, and other people, younger people, didn't know who they were, um, which was one of the reasons why this author wrote this book. This is debut historical fiction, and it is about the Dion quintuplets. Um, this is, uh, it's, it's uh, centered on a reluctant midwife, this woman who is just 17 years old, when she assists in the birth of the Dion quintuplets. These are five tiny miracles. They're born to these very poor French farmers. And um, so this is told through the story of this young woman. Um, you know, she, the author did amazing research on this uh, story. And, um, ha, you know, this, this family, this couple really didn't have any money. It was uh, northern Ontario, 1934. They already had five kids. And then they had these five babies, and they did not know that she was carrying five babies. It was, you know, it was, it was horrific. Um, and they were all identical. So they ended up, uh, it was hard times, and it ended up that these kids were used sort of as a circus. I mean, they had a, they had a building built with a glass wall, and people would drive in, and thousands of people would come just to watch these kids play. They dressed them up in the same clothes, and they watched them play. Um, and of course, you know, none of this ever ends well. Um, and um, so, and the government took the kids away because they thought that the parents couldn't handle it financially. Um, so all of that is true, and all of that is built into around this novel. Um, and uh, it's it's a story about love and heartache and resilience and family and government. Um, and it's a, it's a coming of age story. And it's a, I mean, it's, the, it was the strangest thing that, um, you know, that I don't think that anything like that had ever happened before. And of course it had its terrible consequences in real life. But all of this is told through the fictional character of the woman who helps to birth these children, not knowing that she's going to help birth five children and then watches and personalizes each one of these girls. Um, and so you get to learn about these kids too. And the, the woman is very torn between like, you know, this is a, sh a, they're making money off of this, but also these kids are not living any kind of a normal life. Um, as I say, the author did meticulous research. She also includes in the book a reading list and pulls from contemporary stories of the day. As I say, her, one of, she was fascinated by this, but she also didn't want this story to die. I mean, she goes back to where they live. She goes back and she sees where, you know, now it's kind of a dilapidated old, old um, structure, but this was where these kids lived, and this is where they had all, you know, it was kind of, uh, I hate to say it, but like a, it was a sideshow. Um, and um, it's perfect for book clubs because there are a lot of moral questions here. The government of Canada took these kids away from their parents. Did that do more harm than good? Was it right for them to step in like this? Lots of stuff to, to chew on. So really interesting book. Uh, go to Edelweiss. There's a lot of information behind the book stuff. Really cool interview with the author about why she wrote this book, how she did her research, what it looked like then, what it looks like now. All of that's on Edelweiss. So that's The Quintland Sisters by Shelley Wood. <clears throat> All right, uh, The Volunteer by Jack Fairweather. One man's mission to lead an underground army inside Auschwitz and stop the Holocaust. So this is a piece of nonfiction, and I love nonfiction stories where it's like how these things that have happened, how have they not been told up to this point? I think of Hidden Figures. That's a very different circumstance for their story not being told. But, you know, it's just like the surprises that history has. Um, and in this case, this tells a story of this Polish resistance fighter who intentionally infiltrated Auschwitz. He, he wasn't captured. He, he 
volunteered essentially to go into Auschwitz and lead an insurgence and also smuggle out evidence that this was happening so the Allies would know. They might have known already and they were just ignoring it, but he wanted to make sure the Allies knew what was happening here. So it's his exploits, and it's it reads like a spy thriller. I mean, it, it's it's absolutely crazy. It reads like the best of like Daniel Silva, for example. But this is true. It's just this Polish guy who's doing all these crazy like sabotage facilities. They're assassinating certain Nazi um, soldiers within the facilities. And again, his story's been snuffed out. Why? Well, because he was a Polish, again, a Polish resistance fighter, and Poland became under communist rule. And after World War II, uh, this Polish man, his name's Wytold Pilecki, continued to fight and was eventually seen as uh, an enemy of communism, and so his records were wiped out. Um, but Jack Fairweather uh, finally worked with both the Polish government, who unearthed some historical documents, as well as Auschwitz survivors, family members, and tells this story for the very first time. And again, it's absolutely enthralling and, and just one of those stories that you just keep reading. You're like, how has this not been told up to this point? So it's a wonderful piece of World War II nonfiction. We're absolutely thrilled. It's coming April 16th. Uh, in a very different vein, uh, one of my favorite authors, because we just know her great, she's a library BFF, Sarah Beth Durst, The Deepest Blue. Uh, so she wrote the Queens of Renthia trilogy, which people love, like just wonderful world building, world building, but also great characters, which I think you know gives any fantasy novel the weight and the readership uh, that otherwise it wouldn't have. And this is a standalone. It still takes place in the same world, but a very different environment. It takes place on this little island. And in this world, if you haven't read that series, uh, spirit there's nature spirits, but they're malicious. And there's only a select few people who can actually ward them off. And in this case, this young woman, uh, on the day of her wedding on this small island uh, community, uh, the, her community is attacked by malicious sea nature spirits. And she discovers that she actually is one of these select few who has the power to defend. And from there, it's just a you know thrilling classic fantasy adventure, but in a very unique world versus the, the previous trilogy. Again, I love Sarah Beth Durst. She's just a brilliant fantasy author. She won the Alex Award, the ALA Alex Award for the Queen of Blood. She's a big deal in the fantasy community, and this is a really great starting point. I love when there's standalones and trilogies that people might be like kind of intimidated initially. Start here, and you won't look back. Uh, so that's The Deepest Blue by Sarah Beth Durst. So, a question I ask myself a lot. Am I dying? Um, so this book what, is for your hypochondriac friend, but also, but also as a reference guide. So doctors Christopher Kelly and Mark Eisenberg are they're cardiologists at Columbia University uh, Medical Center, and they decided to write kind of a catch-all like if you ask yourself am I dying don't go to Google they even say like where did Google get his medical degree I don't know um, so that's kind of the wit that comes through in the book it, it's fun and it's kind of quick it's also a, it is a reference guide you don't have to read it all the way through it's got different titles like some of them I'll read back pain bloating chest pain con constipation so it kind of goes through and you can read from there but it's Within those, it's broken down into either take a chill pill so you don't have to worry about it or make a doctor's appointment or you need to get to the ER right now. So you can kind of go through a flow chart of if you're dying or not. Um, 
so it's I think it's fun and like I said it can be a gift to someone like that I think it's funny but also I it really does have true stuff from cardiologists and doctors who know what they're talking about and I feel like you know maybe stay off Google and go to am I dying um so that is out in December perfect for Christmas so am I dying <laughs> Dr. Christopher Kelly and Mark Eisenberg and then we just put some health and wellness books together for you guys. It's on your handout. And we actually have... We have, I think, a couple. Yeah. You know, we've been talking to librarians who are telling us. I had a nice long conversation with Mallory Aaron Zedarian uh, during the PLA conference, and she said, you know, listen, you know, we, we would love to have, uh, you know, a shortcut to health and wellness, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual wellness. So we put these together. Let us know if these are helpful to you. Honestly, when we're done with all of this, which will be soon, let us know what you, um, what you want to hear more about, what's helpful to you, what's not. This is the first time we've done this, and we want to do it again. So, you know, we welcome all your feedback. But, and let us know if this is, you know, this is the kind of thing, if we capture all this kind of stuff, does this help you? So here's just a snapshot, and it's on your handouts. We also have some cookbooks, Go With Health. Some cooking health books and some pasta. Mmm, <laughs> yum. So, after Am I Dying, what perfect book, then The Eulogist. <laughs> we just think we're so funny when we're making up this list. We might have planned that. <laughs> want to do that? Okay, you want to? Okay, so The Eulogist. Uh, this marks the return of uh, an acclaimed literary voice. Literary voice. This is uh, Terry Gamble. She hasn't uh, written a book. This is her first in 12 years. Um, uh, she's the author of The Water Dancers and The Good Family. She's a wonderful writer, well worth the wait. Uh, this is a book about a family. This is about immigration, um, the injustice of slavery, uh, the debts that human beings owe each other. This is all seen through uh, this particular uh, Irish-American family. Um, so they're cheated out of this, this is a family called the Givens family, and they're cheated out of their estate in Northern Ireland after the Napoleonic Wars. So they go to America, it's 1819, and um, they've, they've lost everything. They make their way to Seattle, down the Ohio River, and, um, and start their lives. Uh, it's a, at first a family, a, you know, sort of a nuclear family. The mother and the father, for various reasons, are no longer in the picture. The mother actually dies of, um, in childbirth. And so we're left with these three um, siblings, a, a girl and, and, and two guys, and they have to fend for themselves. Uh, one of them ends up marrying into a prosperous family, so he's doing okay, starts a business. The other one becomes a preacher, and the uh, daughter, very independent-minded, and uh, she enters into this partnership and marriage with this local doctor. So when her, doctor, when her husband dies of this infection, she needs to bring his body back to his family home in Kentucky, and when she gets there, she meets his estranged brother and realizes he is a slave owner. And so she is completely horrified. And because of, you know, they're just, they're standing, they're learning as they go. But, you know, because before they didn't care, they were indifferent, it wasn't on their radar, it wasn't, uh, it didn't affect their lives. Well, now it does. So it's, so she tries and help, tries to help some of these slaves um, escape. Uh, one with 
terrible results. And so this is, uh, she goes back to her brother, who's the preacher, and he's also trying to help uh, slaves escape. Um, and so this is their story. This is their story of coming to America. You know, it's, it's fraught with, with uh, everything that could possibly go wrong, poverty and losing their parents for various reasons, and then how they make their way in the world and how they fight the injustice of, um, of, of slavery and how they uh, they come into their own um, and how they are with each other, you know, how they connect those dots. So, um, uh, you know, she's back. And as I say, it was worth the wait. So um, oh, I have a great quote here. I have two great quotes, one from Sally Gunning, who wrote The Widow's War. But there's another one from um, uh, Paulette Giles, Enemy, Enemy Women and News of the World. She says, a captivating historical novel of family loyalties and conflict and the borders between freedom and slavery, the eulogist is a searing portrait of the Ohio Valley and its pre-Civil War turmoil with beautifully drawn characters, highly recommended. So that's Paulette Giles uh, talking about the eulogist by Terry Gamble. So this is The House of Beauty by Melba Escobar. Melba's a journalist and this title was actually chosen as the, one of the best books of 2016 by Columbia National Novel Prize. And this is, oh, it's described as Narcos meets Claws, and I feel like if you, like doesn't it just put something in your mind? It's great, I love that description. But this is a story of Karen who lives in Columbia and she works at House of Beauty, which is a salon. And she's one of the best beauticians, but she's also the best listener. And she knows all of the gossips. Her clients confide in her, and she knows everything. She retains it all so she could use it. But she starts kind of needing some money, so she gets into a few things she might not should be. And then now a girl has gone missing, and she's found dead, and she's one of the last people. Karen is one of the last people to have seen her. So, of course, the mom wants to talk to her. And it's just ups and downs. It, I love this quote from Glamour in the U.K., we thought we were bored of th thrillers, but when we found House of Beauty, as gasp-inducing as hot wax. I thought that was a great quote. So um, it's just about class and the female experience. So she's kind of going within those constructs as well. But it, it really is a great thriller in its own. And that is House of Beauty by Melba Escobar. And <clears throat> next is Beyond the Point. So, a journalist as well. This is by Claire Gibson. This is her debut novel. She grew up at West Point. Her dad was a teacher there, a professor, and she just kind of knows about this world, but she also interviewed a lot of women who graduated from West Point, which, I mean, I don't know anything about that experience, so I can imagine that was a really cool experience to learn from them. But this is the story. It's historical, it's fiction, so it's not anybody real, but she based all of the girls on stories that she heard and pulling it all together. It follows three women who go to West Point and they attend on the eve of 9-11. So things change. They kind of, they all go there for three different reasons. Either there's no sons in the family and they all go to West Point or there's opportunities that they can find there. But then everything changes and the world is distraught and they, they're in a war now. So they have to kind of reposition how they think about this experience at West Point. And so the research is really cool. I think she learned about it. She lived this. And it's just the core of the novel is strong female friendship. So it's about them going through this 9-11 attack and wars and just how they have relationships and families afterwards and when they come together. Um, there's a great PS section. And I have a great quote 
from Kate Quinn, which I'm going to find. In Beyond the Point, Claire Gibson writes a stellar trio of heroines. Women I want to hug, women I want to befriend, and women I want to be an inspiring tribute to female friendship and female courage. Who And as you know, Kate Quinn, we talked about for The Huntress. So that is Beyond the Point by Claire Gibson. Also, the editor, Lucia, talked about it on our podcast, so you can check more about it there. Okay. Uh, Never Look Back by Allison Galen. Uh, Allison is a pretty prolific thriller author and journalist. Uh, her previous novel was If I Die Tonight, What Remains of Me. Um, and she has a real talent for ripping things from the headlines or from like past crimes, historic crimes, and then infusing that and making it like a really great, strong thriller. And in this case, uh, she is taking um, a podcast twist, kind of, where uh, there's this website columnist, and she's contacted by this true crime podcast producer uh, who wants to talk to her about these murders that took place in the 70s. These murders were committed by this teen couple who just went on this rampage. That's where the true crime element comes in, because in the 50s, there actually was this teenage couple that went through a Midwest crime spree. Really horrifying. Uh, but in the novel... This, this teen couple was accused and, and you know found guilty, but this podcast producer actually is contacting this website columnist because he thinks that uh, this woman's mother was somehow involved, um, which is really strange. I mean, so this woman, this website columnist, is really close with her parents. They're her rock. And now, out of the blue, they're being accused of being involved with these murders that these two teenagers were involved in. So everything is thrown into disarray. There are clues that hint towards, you know, her parents aren't telling her everything, and how could they possibly involve, be involved with something so horrific? So twisty, and again, it has that podcast element, which is a big thing now, I think, in thrillers. But Allison always takes a concept and just knocks it out of the park, and this is another hit for her. Um, we're publishing it in a library hardcover edition, for fans of Laura Lippman, for sure, this is a great one. Uh, so that's coming in March. You're getting a lot of me. Two more titles from me. Um, there can never be too much of you. Oh, thanks, B. Welcome. Just the right amount of me. Um, <laughs> so the next one is The Night Visitors by Carol Goodman. I love Carol Goodman. She's another thriller author. Um, I started with The Widow's House, uh, which won the 2018 Mary Higgins Clark Award. Uh, her most recent novel is The Other Mother. Uh, and all of her novels are very different. They, I mean, they have her voice, but some are very gothic. Some are a little more modern thriller, but they're all really strong. And in this one, it takes place where this young mother takes her son, 10 years old, and she's escaping a very abusive relationship, a dangerous situation. And she calls this help hotline for women in trouble. And Maddie, the social worker in her 50s, is the one who takes the call. And Maddie lives alone in this kind of dilapidated estate in upstate New York. Um, and she decides to take them in, shelter them, provide you know, some safety for them. But Maddie, what she's not telling this mother is uh, her, this, this young boy reminds Maddie of her um, brother who died when he was a young kid. And this young mother has secrets of her own. So they're in this kind of, you know, tight lock. It's kind of like a locked room mystery where it's a very tight enclosed space, very claustrophobic, really great setting. And each individual has secrets and neither of them know what the other one really wants. Uh, so it's so good, so creepy and just great characters. I love Carol Goodman. 
if you go back and read The Widow's House, that'll give you kind of, an, it'll entice you. This is coming in March. Um, super excited. It's a trade paperback. We're publishing it in a library hardcover edition, though. So, because we love libraries and we want you to read Carol Goodman. Uh, that's The Night Visitors. And then uh, we have library and favorite Jacqueline Winspear, The American Agent. This is the next Maisie Dobb novel. Uh, that has Maisie investigating the murder of an American war correspondent in London during the Blitz. Um, do we have Maisie Dobb fans here? People who are, okay, there's one right there. there yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's enough. Um, <laughs> um, so we're absolutely thrilled about this. Again, she's, she gets better somehow. You know, this, I think this is, I don't want to, get the number wrong but you know there's a lot of novels in this series and you'd think you'd kind of flatline as far as your momentum and how like how complex and how well done they are Jacqueline just keeps on upping the bar somehow which I think is amazing after all this time and then this is coming March 26th we're also publishing a companion piece kind of a gifty novel called what would Maisie do and it's taking you know She's been through some things, Maisie, and she has some serious survival skills, and we can all learn something from Maisie, and that's exactly what that book's doing. It's kind of, you know, taking lessons from these novels and applying them to, you know, real-life situations so you can learn something. It's really fun, gifty, so any Maisie fans in your lives, run out once, come March, get that book. Again, it's publishing the same day, March 26th. So uh, that's The American Agent, and what would Maisie do? Jacqueline Winspear. Okay, this is The Binding by Bridget Collins. At risk of sounding like a broken record, this is also a podcast episode that's really great. And um, Bridget called in and talked to her editor, so please go check it out. It's so cool. So cool to hear her, hear about, to hear her talk about it. She studied book binding, which is so cool. I, she said it's like essentially the same process that they started with just crazy to me. So Bridget is great. She is an actor and she writes. She has seven um, young adult books. So this is her debut adult novel. And so this is a book about books. We all love those. And it's got a gorgeous cover. Um, but so it's about Emmett, who it's a little, you know, it's, it's fiction. It doesn't have, it has a fantasy element in a way. So Emmett Farmer, who he starts off, he's kind of sick, and he's learning how to work in the fields again, and he gets this letter, his parents do, and they say, you've got to go be an apprentice to a bookbinder, because in this world, people harness their memories in books, and so a professional has to bind it together, and then they take that memory. And Bridget actually spoke about being on a call line for people who call and have problems, and just she was like, I wish I could take these memories from these people and just take away their pain and so she it got her thinking like how would that look in a world where actually people do that and you don't have that memory anymore so in this world Emmett has to go and be an apprentice he doesn't want to it's kind of a, a taboo in this world because people are kind of um, not nice people and they take take it and expose different memories and don't use them the way they're supposed to which is a sacred memory and so his parents are like well we don't have any money you have to go and he goes and learns how to find these books and that's a process that's gorgeous and described but also he finds that his name is on one of the books so what a memory is in there and there's just kind of a little mystery in there as well and I think like example people who take the memories so you can sell your memories so like a woman who might only have 
one good memory, she has to sell it for money to survive. So it, it brings in interesting questions of how what you would keep and what you would retain. And then some people just like to go into other people's memories. And it's like, well, what would you see in other people? It, I think it poses really great questions. It's a cool world. And knowledge, it just shows that knowledge can be its own kind of magic. I have to say, I was looking at uh, Goodreads last night about this book, about a bunch of books. And the the uh, remarks on book reads on Goodreads about this book is so is so compelling. I mean, the people are. You should go and check it out because it's really something. I mean, they're just like, oh my god, this book was so good. I didn't want it to end. I thought about it afterwards. I didn't. I don't even like this kind of a book, and I love this book. And it's like, it's just. I don't know. It's, it's, there's a wonderful wave of support and love for this book, and so we really want to make sure that you guys know about it. Now. That concludes the presentation of titles by the Library Love Fest team. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Oh, stop, it's so No, keep going. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for sitting through, listening to us. Again, if there's anything that we've talked about that you want galleys of, we're happy to send you anything you want. Uh, we'll whitelist you on Edelweiss if you're not already so that you don't have to get approved every single time. Just, just write to us. It's all, all of our contact info is there.